Hi everyone, my name is Christopher Bonheim and you're listening to the BIN podcast. Simply the podcast for those who want to learn from the very best in business, tech and entrepreneurship. Let's start the show. Johan Lind started Vertisit with the vision of shaping the future of retail. Their job is to support and challenge their clients in their in-store transformation and bridging the digital experience with the physical in a seamless customer journey. In this episode, Johan explains why he decided with his co-founders to start Vertisit and the impact of the financial crisis in 2008, how they have managed to stay profitable all the way and grow every quarter, their business model and the evolution behind it, his best advice on scaling a company abroad, and the future of retail and its impact on global brands and businesses. Let's start the show. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Wonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Wonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to be joined by Johan. And Johan, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Let's go uh, all the way back. You're brought up in a small Swedish town. Tell me a bit about your home place and what's the best part of growing up there. Yeah, so uh, actually I've grown up uh, outside Varberg on the west coast of of Sweden. So it's uh, south of Gothenburg. It's like 35 minutes by train. So it, it's actually um, a town where like the majority of all shoes passing into Sweden goes from our hometown. Uh, it uh, uh, has a heritage uh, from uh, a lot of small tech companies and also uh, retail companies. And uh, also the access to Gothenburg within 35 minutes, I think it's uh, very advantageous for us. Um, but uh, if you look at the size of the city, it's one out of thousand people. It's uh, it's a place where most people come uh, during the summer for their holiday. How early did you find an interest in either business or entrepreneurship? Was it growing up, or did it come later in life? Um, it was actually during my school period. I think it um, it was a topic that. Um, we used to discuss a lot among friends, and uh, so I actually was on a path going to like um, being a software engineer and studying at, at the Chalmers University. But I changed path uh, during like the last year, and um, 
um, I decided to go for marketing and business instead, uh, but I actually didn't finish it off. I just did one year and after that I was um, recruited to uh, a company that scaled the retail business from like five, five stores to 15. And it was a really good, good start in my career because we had huge freedom to, to do what we believed in during that journey. And, um, and four years after that, we, me and one of, uh, uh, one of the store, uh, store manager there actually started advertising ourselves. We, we wanted to do our own journey at that point. To tell us about that moment when you decided to change the path of going the other way and you said, okay, I'm going to try this route instead. Was it anything in particular that made you, you decide to change path or was it just a combination of many things? I, I think it was a combination of many things, but uh, the, the fundamental was that we had a very interesting period in this three years scaling that business. But actually, the, the business was in better shape when it was like two, three stores than it was after 15 stores because the, the, um, the scaling of the business um, was, uh, when they started to scale, it was never profitable again. Um, and also, at that point, the, uh, the founder that was really like the energy in the company uh, become the, uh, sick. Uh, so these two things that we didn't really saw that it had a bright future and also that uh, the founder Benny there that was the, the like great entrepreneur uh, was out of the picture. That was the two main things. So, so, so when you have this idea for Vatisit, is it is it one particular moment where you have the sort of aha moment, or is it an, an idea that sort of grows over time, and then it's like the timing aspect that you say, okay, now is the right time to try this idea, or how how did it that look like? Actually, it was uh, I was the purchasing manager in this company, and uh, we had the store manager for one of the stores. Uh, we uh, it was close to the headquarters, so we had breakfast every day at the cafe cafeteria. Uh, so we discussed a lot of, you know, we were both mutually interested in in business, and uh, so we discussed a lot of business ideas at the time. Uh, so the first thing we decided upon was that we need to do something ourselves, <laughs> uh, and uh, we had a lot of ideas. We discussed during a year, I think, but. It was one thing that like sticked to us. Then we, um, and that was that the digital transformation that just started. Um, we said that this need to affect thing that is outside the computer. And you know, in 2007, it was like the uh, people didn't have iPhones in Sweden. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, but but we really saw that this will have an effect. So we started to work in. The, uh, for a half a year to do the planning, to like write the business plan, go to the bank and try to find financing. And, and, then, um, uh, and then we just came to a point that we said, this is nothing we could do during the weekends. This is 100% or not. Um, so um, we took as big loan as we could on the bank. Uh, I sold my car. <laughs> we, we quit our jobs. Uh, and uh, just went from there, three three guys in my apartment. That's very, very interesting. I mean, so during this time, we also have the financial crisis coming to us as well. 
Did that have an impact at all or not? Because you guys are in Sweden and you are not really that, you know, affected by the financial crisis. That it definitely, definitely had. Um, it, it could be a long story, but the, <laughs> the good thing was that we secured like financing um, before, uh, like end 2007. So uh, we, we took a loan of 1 million Swedish crown from Almi, it's like a, a state-backed, uh, and uh, 1 million from the local, uh, local bank, where we took a 100% guarantee ourselves, private. Um, and um, if, if that would have been like six months later, uh, uh, it wouldn't have been possible at that time. So um, uh, that was a good timing. But also after a year when we started to get business, <laughs> then it was hard to get finance at that stage, even, even though we actually were profitable the first year. Uh, we had a hard time like financing uh, the company after that. Uh, because it was still still really like freezed when it comes to the opportunity to take up loans. Uh, but we managed to solve that as well. So let's talk about product market fit. Obviously, you were going in the retail industry. You had this, okay, digitalization. Obviously, that's a massive trend. And it's the famous saying of that you need to have a niche, target a niche first, and then you can grow the market with that niche. But how, how did that journey look for you guys? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. We um, actually the only thing that we saw that was the like digital communication uh, will impact how we interact with each other and how we communicate in the public space. So um, from the beginning, we were we were looking at so many different verticals, uh, um, but. The first thing we went into to take a niche was digital out of home. It's outdoor advertising. Uh, it, it was good because people started to put up like LED screens that they imported from Asia. But we uh, we said we want to do the backbone. We want to do the booking system. How to price campaign? How to schedule based on share of voice? How to calculate the reach? All of this. How to uh, like configure and quotes. Um, and uh, after three years, we said we have 80% market share. Um, but uh, the, what we didn't tell was that the market was only 150 screens in Sweden. <laughs> so it was like the worst, worst market to be like the number one in. Uh, so at that point, uh, we needed to decide, should we go international? Uh, we did a lot of home business. Uh, or should we broaden into other verticals. Uh, and uh, for many reasons, we, we choose to broaden because we, we were too small and it was uh, too big uh, differences between the market, how, how you worked with like measure the, those type of campaigns. So uh, we did a lot of verticals, uh, public, corporate, retail, advertising. And five years later, uh, we actually have 85% of our revenue from a customer meeting. So then we, then we focused on uh, retail where we are today. So now we do digital in-store solutions to really enhance the customer experience in-store, uh, to bridge the customer journey from online to like in-person in the store. Is there any lessons from landing those first few clients? Because obviously that's a very hard task to do when you're just starting out, I guess. Yeah, uh, like we we really built the company from 
like stone by stone. So um, we like been profitable the whole journey. We like really bootstrapped strategy. We took like the local pizzeria as one of our first customers. So we went from like the local pizzeria to Porsche globally <laughs> and everything in there in between. Um, and uh, we'll, um, also like I was 24 years old when I started the company. So I think it, it's also it's also a journey where you need to grow the business, where you grow yourself as an entrepreneur and, uh, and grow the team and your skills. And so I think it's it's a it's a lot of good things with growing a company over time, um, and also to always try to be profitable. In uh, of course there are arguments where you need to invest a lot of money, take the market like Spotify for example. But in a, in most cases, <laughs> at least I think it's it's better to do business that are profitable because in so many cases it's really hard to change from like not being profitable and only only like focus on market share and try to change that back to a model where you are profitable would be really, really hard. I agree. Uh, <clears throat> I know this is a very hard question to answer, but so many companies that start fail after two or three years and don't exist anymore. On the one hand, I guess that's a good thing because it's a, it's a bit bad being stuck in a business that isn't going nowhere, right? Spending 10 years of your life sort of trying to make it survive year by year. So, of course, some businesses should stop. But do you have any specific insight into why you believe so many companies can survive those first few years? Uh, obviously, there are many things. Uh, of course, it takes to... You need to reach a certain size where you can carry your own costs. I think that's almost like the hardest thing is like to get your first and your second employee that's uh, in my opinion i think uh, companies that have like reached like five employees are the heroes <laughs> it it's so so much work uh, until you reach that level but um, if you look from a strategic perspective i think one thing that we agreed on was like have a clear path where do we want to be so like clear view on vision, uh, clear view on like the business models, but and but not to be to have a recipe for like the next quarter. <laughs> so you need to know like maybe we need to do this consultancy work that is not core in our business model now. Uh, we, but we need to know that we're out of. Uh, we we're driving a little bit like outside the road, the main road, uh, but we know that we are doing it because it it will actually benefit us. Like we will get the cash from that business, and you can allow yourself to to drive outside the road if you know you're doing it. Uh, but most uh, com if I look to uh, many companies that have like um, uh, helped uh, in different ways. Uh, they they like change their whole their whole like business ID twice a year, and I think that's that's really that's really tough. If you change your business ID, if you change your uh, change your vision business model too often, uh, then then you will have uh, like uh, problem. And also if you have 
like this is my business idea this is the plan this is exactly the step that i will take then most likely you don't take enough feedback from the customers so i think be be like strict on the long-term path be strict on like business model but be flexible and adaptive to the market where you're acting and listen to your customers is is sort of the concept that we try to, uh, to use and then it has been uh, beneficial for us i mean i couldn't agree more i think it all goes back to that uh, i think it's the uh Andreessen saying that be stubborn on the wish vision and flexible in, in the details so i definitely agree with you uh, if we go over to the retail industry can you just quickly explain where you believe retail is today because obviously it's changed a lot during covid and also, like, how do you view the retail market going forward as well? Yeah, it's a super interesting topic. And it, it's a lot of trends going on. But if you, if you look before COVID, we really saw how a pattern where more and more business went into, like, the online channels. And, and, and what, what retailers struggled with was that their model and how they... Uh, their offering to the market really didn't map with how consumer behave. So, and we also like treated every channel specially. So it could, uh, it was like you have the online store and you have the physical store. But um, the, the most important thing to have in mind is that a customer never see themselves as a re- uh, online customer or a brick and mortar customer. <laughs> they see themselves as a customer for for a brand uh, and uh, different channels really support different needs so if we take a like really simple example um, if you order food from your favorite restaurant at home um, it might be the same dish but it's it it offers you something else than uh, like visiting the restaurant and eating there with your friends you know so so um it and and that's the way you should look at at retail that maybe i i need to go to the store to have someone that could help me find the right running shoes uh, uh, but when i when i have found my right running shoes maybe i make the repeat order online you know, but so the customer, uh, you need to look at what are this like, what are the real purpose and the offering with your different channels, um, and um, our aim there is of course making it all work together. So you can say on the, the big trends, if we come back to that, the stores are moving from transaction to service and uh, inspiration and uh, uh, a way of experience a brand. Um, in many ways. You could also see another big trend that is direct-to-consumer, that uh, multi-channel retailers suffer, and uh, the one that uh, take advantage, and the one that grows now, are brands moving in with their own online channels and their own retail facilities. So Nike is a great example. They went from 10% direct sell to consumer to 40% direct sales to consumer in just three years. 
and they had left like the big online platforms and uh, focused purely on their own their own uh, online channels and they had terminated 80% of the, their re resellers in the physical world and invested in like Nike stores uh, on global scale. So, um, and also new car brands. If you look at Polestar, for example, they go like they have uh, they have an online model and they build brand stores. Uh, and so, so that's that's a huge uh, trend uh, as well. Uh, so, so what what do we see? We we still see in trend reports that five years from now, uh, brick and mortar will have. 75% of the turnover. Uh, and for me, it doesn't matter if it's 75 or 50% of the turnover, uh, because the, the important thing for us is that the uh, online and the physical are still two important channels that needs to work together. It's because that's where we are. Uh, and if it also have an effect that the stores are getting smaller, um, it also means that you need to have digital solutions to be able to offer your full range uh, through like digital touch points. And for some fa fashion brands that we work with now, uh, Jill Lindeberg, for example, 10% of their in-store sales is from the online assortment. So maybe you try, uh, try a black jacket and order a blue one in your size. Interesting. Um, maybe it's easier to use a concrete example that you've seen, but is it possible to sort of define the ultimate customer experience from a brand perspective? Um, really interesting. I, th I think it's it's uh, you need you, you need to look at it from like brand to brand. Uh, but um, if we if we look at Volvo now, for example, they they want to take back like the, they want you to buy the Volvo car from Volvo, not the dealer. And um, that's based on how they look on the customer journey and how people behave. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I think it's a good example. If you map it, like most likely you start in the sofa to like explore and maybe you start to configure a new car in the sofa at home. And uh, when you come to the to the dealership, you don't want to go to a desk to a salesperson that, uh, and you, because you maybe are not ready to like buy a car. And if you sit on a desk, that's the expectation. So in that case, we want to have um, uh, places where you can stand to uh, to really continue to configure on the car and explore the car that you built at home, and then you can do it mutually. Because you have, you might have seen the experience where you sit on a desk and they show you sometimes and ask you questions and you need to restart the customer journey because you already invested two hours at home. So you need to be able to continue the journey yourself or with a sales associate uh, and together like um, finalize uh, the car in this case. And then after that, uh, you need to have the right tools for the sales staff to be relevant for you in that customer meeting. So maybe they, they need to have digital tools to uh, be able to answer questions on environmental questions, financing, related services, or how uh, add-on on the car add value in your life. Um, and after that, we also in this journey implemented 
like accessory sales that uh, was really weak uh, before. So you could like find the right uh, accessories to your car based on the car that you configure and your lifestyle. Um, and also after that, uh, during the period where you wait on your car, you get emails, information, where you can start to explore and learn more about the features you have in the car. And then you have a point of delivery where, where we have a personalized experience where you really have an agenda that is based on you as a customer and the, the car. We, so we know what we should show you because if you have features that you paid for and we don't introduce you to them, that is a really bad experience. And also, if they try to uh, to show you features that you don't have, <laughs> it's also really bad. So um, that that's that's one example. So I think uh, it's it, if you take the new car customer journey and take it from start to finish, it's it's logic. Uh, but but uh, I need to like if you can take on the customer's eyes, see that some things you do at home, you start browsing at homes. You, you continue to talk to the brand when you wait for your car uh, at home. And when you visit the, the dealership, for example, you need, you need to be able to continue the journey. And um, of course, the delivery moment is really interesting. And after that, you continue the life with the relationship to Volvo with, uh, uh, with all the services that they offer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very good good example because obviously there's a huge difference between the needs to a family of five worried about safety versus a guy that wants to ski all over Norway and Sweden and have yeah. like a car to, to use that for. But the other question I would, I would love to ask is that obviously you are positioning your company in a field where many companies can say the same to clients because you also say that you want to increase sales, you want to increase the magic, and you want to increase loyalty. Obviously, that pitch can come from a lot of different companies, and those companies can be competitors or they can have synergies to each other. But talk a bit about that that market in general, because having worked for those companies that get pitched by those types of companies, there are many companies saying that we can increase your sales and we can increase loyalty. Yeah. Um... I, I think it's really weak. Uh, the pitch that we will increase, if you, if you buy this, you will increase your sales with this. It's almost always a lie. <laughs> because if you, if you go back to like the basics in, in retail, if you, if you, you always know that it, it's, of course, the sign, even if it's printed sign, of course, it has an impact on the size of the sign. <laughs> <laughs> and how how it visually looks. Uh, it also like where is it in uh, if you go the journey in the store, um, and how the products are exposed, and what product it is, and what price it is. <laughs> so, so, so. It's always a combination of so many factors. Uh, so that there is not not like one single answer um, um, on that one. Um, so the things um, I don't like, like consultancy going into the companies to say uh, change or die, and uh, with our offering you will increase sales or loyalty with fifteen percent. Uh, that goes away. So we, um, our say is like uh, more or less we we could 
let's let's take a look on um, how your business uh, looks now how the customer journey looks uh, your off value proposition your offering and we could together see like what digital touch points could enhance the customer experience and uh, add value in your business and we do that together with the customer because they know their business best and uh, then for each and every touch point if you have we design like what is the purpose, what is the situation where the customer are, what is the communication, uh, what technology do we need, and what is the KPI to measure. And uh, to come back to the measurement point, I think we need to try and then measure. I think people start sometimes to look at, at like the measurement points instead of believing in something. I think. Have, have an idea, uh, trust that idea, and measure the result. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that said, if you look at things that are related to the brand experience, it's really hard to measure <clears throat> on one end. If you come to tactic communication, like go from, uh, in Burger King case, go from uh, people think about Whopper, but you want to sell the campaign meal, it's easy to like measure uh, how you can uh, convert people by upselling. Um, it's easy. Um, it's also easy to see um, if you have, for example, endless I like e-commerce sales in store is easy to measure. So when it's uh, transaction oriented, it's easy to measure uh, touch point by touch point. When it's brand experience, you need to measure it uh, on the concept as a whole. It's also hard to measure like the sofa or the premium lighting system. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, finishing up scaling your company, we also need to talk a bit about scaling yourself as a leader and as a business person. How has that journey been? Being so consistent, growing all the time, has that been challenging privately or has it just been a great journey for you as well as a leader, suddenly managing two people to 50 people, etc.? Um, for me, it has been a really good journey. Uh, as I said, I was 24 years old when I started the company, and uh, I'm happy that I was uh, that it took time for me to grow into this. <laughs> because you, obviously, when you work on the same thing in 10 years, uh, all of a sudden you become pretty good at that. It, it's due to anything. If you if you like spend 10 years of skiing, you become really good at skiing. <laughs> so so, so uh, time, time is good, but it's also like where, what, why are you into the business? Um, it could be that if, uh, if we were three people, we re really like uh, the founders, Adrian was really uh, operational guy, uh, also like a finance perspective on things. Um, so he took care of like all internal like processes and routines and stuff. Uh, we had Oscar as the CTO uh, that had like made all the technology decision and I've been more on the marketing, uh, marketing and sales side. Uh, so we always had like clear roles and you also need to see like are my core um, um, is my core competence valuable in this stage for the company? And uh, is this a place where I want to be? Uh, and you need to be really open when it's not. So, for example, Adrian, at one point, he said, I don't want to be the CFO when we go public. 
Um, but he said, I want to have a strategic saying in the board. So then he moved from like uh, operational management into the board. And we had a CFO that we recruited for that, uh, that position. Um, and, uh, but for, um, for me, um, the most interesting thing for me is always like to build, build company. Uh, so for me, when it becomes bigger and bigger, um, I'm, um, I, I still think it's more and more fun uh, when it becomes uh, larger and uh, where, uh, where uh, as still as there are things, things still things to learn, and uh, as long as we deliver on plan, um, I, I think it's a great, a great personal journey as well, and I'm never bored. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great reflections because it isn't right for everyone to be sort of the Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg because companies that grows change a lot, right? So yeah. certainly when you have when you have scale and you can talk more about this than me, but something as easy or hard as internal politics or hiring or culture will take a large chunk of your time because when you are five guys, I mean, the culture is the five persons involved, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, I think it, it comes down to, to be honest to yourself, like, am I the right for, for the challenge at this particular time? And uh, it's also be true to yourself, like, is this really what I want? And, and uh, um, and in 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 my my case, uh, I really like to build companies. <laughs> I think I could build like any type of the comp- any type of company. It's uh, but building companies what what I really love, uh, and uh, that uh, and as we like reach certain steps where we could like um, it's it's achieving like taking the next step. That's what drives me. And uh, I think uh, it's more fun now uh, when we are 130 people uh, than it's ever been. Do you have any any leaders or entrepreneurs who inspires you? I mean, obviously, this is a very Norwegian-ish question to ask because you can always say that Daniel Ek is the, the most incredible founder from Sweden and is taking over the world. But do you have anyone that has inspired you and you even even have met and talked to and been mentored by? Uh, Mia Brunel Livfors, uh, she has been, she was the head of Chinevik. She was my mentor for uh, for two years. Uh, now she's at uh, Axel Jonsson. Um, um, she uh, she is a fantastic leader, uh, and um, she actually she inspired me a lot when it comes to to really build things up on culture instead of like processes. Um, and um, I think I learned a lot from her uh, and the good thing that she always had like the business like the sales and the, the core of the business is actually always like sales so uh, she she managed to like have pure focus on how do we perform uh, sales wise and how do we really like keep the culture in place and uh, uh, so she she have really been an inspiration, but also like I also as others I'm super impressed inspired by Steve Jobs for example, where he just can have a, like a very clear vision of what we want to achieve, 
like really start with why uh, what is the what is the overall purpose and take that down to uh, a product in the end and not 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 the other way around did you have any just closing off any any final uh, or some great resources or books that you can recommend or something like that? Because there's were also some question on Twitter about that. Um, that was a good question. I might come back to you with, with that, but uh, there are obviously things that are uh, really relevant in in different uh, spectras. Um, but um, I think I come back with uh, the book recommendation. Let's maybe we can put it in the show notes. So when the episode is released, we can have some resources if yeah. Johan has some, some great tips. So I think that's it, Johan. Thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure to having you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, always interesting to like having uh, a recap of what uh, things that is past. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Hi everyone, Christopher here again. Just a few things before you leave the show. If you like this episode, it would be great if you could give it a review and also share it with your professional network. If you want to get in touch with me, Twitter is the place. Just go to at Chris You can also find this information in the show notes. Hope to see you tune in to the next episode and take care.